Welcome to Digging Deeper in Grace, a ministry of Grace Baptist Church in Cedarville, Ohio. Our goal each episode is to dig deeper into the scriptures with a focus on our most recent sermon. And now let's dig deeper. Well, hello, welcome, and thank you for tuning in today for... Adam Hammett, this is season number four, believe it or not, of our podcast, Mm. episode one. And I'm your host, Bart Sheridan. Very pleased, as I said, to welcome back to the microphone, Adam Hammett. And Adam shared with our congregation just this past Sunday from Psalm 88. And that passage is going to be the focus of our conversation for the coming minutes. So Adam, thanks for joining us. Happy New Year and welcome to 2024. Happy New Year to to you, Bart. Yeah, it's great to be here with you. And it it was a great time together on Sunday, our technically our last Sunday gathering of 2023. And Adam, I'm going to say, I don't expect there were many preachers in pulpits on Sunday who closed out the year with a sermon from uh, Psalm chapter 88. So you acknowledge that this passage is somewhat unorthodox for a year-end sermon, but share a little more about why you did you did at some level, but why out of all the passages of Scripture, this is where you landed? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, that's that's a little bit of a little bit of a journey, but I'll try to kind of be on point. First, to the point that you said about, you know, it's not a passage that gets preached on very often, period, you know, and probably not at a time where there's a lot of conversation about New Year's resolutions, uh, and things like that. Um, so that was one one kind of motivation for me was to actually, you know, exposit a portion of scripture that isn't really talked about from the pulpit that often. Uh, again, we want to be a church that really uh, revels in the whole counsel of God that doesn't shy away from certain passages. I talked to Pastor Tim a little bit about, you know, m- maybe what he would like for me to do. And he talked a little bit about maybe, you know, going back and doing a different genre, a psalm or something like that. And Psalm 88 really is one that's that's always stuck out to me. Again, I, I mentioned this in the sermon, but it just is jarring. You're kind of reading along and all of a sudden, boom, there it is right there, like a boulder in the middle of the Psalms. Uh, it was, this was a hard year. It was a really hard year. And so kind of reflecting back, I mean, for me, uh, Personally, there was some decisions that we made as a family uh, in terms of transitioning and things like that that were were not easy decisions. Um, Walking away from a career in teaching mathematics, which I love dearly, and moving into this role, feeling God call us clearly to move into this role and all that that might entail, that was a a hard thing to do. And then immediately, uh, you know, I love the aspect of care that, that my job description uh, you know, asks for me to oversee, and uh, I really wanted to make sure that that was being done well. And then immediately, it was one hard thing after another in the life of our church. It just, I, I don't know if that is atypical, but it just felt like this was a hard year. Um, a lot of sickness, uh, a lot of unexpected deaths, Uh, And it was just, it was just really hard. And I thought that this was a time for us to just acknowledge the fact that, man, there is hardship (laughs) in this world that's been marred by sin. And it's good for us to acknowledge that so that we can really uh, celebrate the fact that Christ will set all things to right one day. I did kind of uh, toy with the idea of preaching on 2 Corinthians 12, 1 through 10, 
where Paul talks a lot about his own sufferings and and how in the end that that's a way that Christ reveals his power in him through his weakness, which is amazing. He says, that's when Christ's power is made apparent, is in my weakness. He doesn't say in his strength or when, when I'm doing you know, decently well. It's actually in his weakness. Uh, but in the end, I, I decided Psalm 88 kind of stands alone. It's a good one to kind of focus on to that end. And I think that's it's a psalm that models for us what relationship with God looks like. Relationship, where we really do come before his throne of grace with confidence as a child of his and just say, God, this hurts, and I don't know what to do with this, but you're my father, and I know that you're a good father, and I'm just asking you, what is going on? <laughs> help me think through this. Help, help, Lord, help me get through this. I did read Ligon Duncan's book called uh, when pain is real and God seems silent, it's really his thoughts on Psalm 88 and Psalm 89, the one right after it. Psalm 89 is definitely more positive, but it still strikes some of the same lament chords that Psalm 88 does. Psalm 88 is written by Heman the Ezraite. Psalm 89 is written by Ethan the Ezraite, both uh, acknowledged as just uh, really stellar in terms of wisdom and discernment, um, true men of God, and both of them struggled uh, but I decided in the end to stick with Psalm 88. But this book by Ligon Duncan, I mean, if anybody wants it, uh, I have lots and lots of copies of it. I'd be happy to give it to you. I, I intentionally didn't look at it when I was preparing for the message just because I didn't want it to unduly influence what I put in there. But it, it did have a deep impact on me years ago. Um, so again, uh, for all those reasons, we're kind of coming out of Advent, reflecting on the year past, reflecting on the year ahead just wanting to acknowledge that there's some real hurt, that, that it's good for us to acknowledge that it actually is painful and that God cares about that pain, even though he has permitted it to enter our lives. Pain is nor a normal part of even the Christian life, and, and that's something that we try. We often don't allow into our vernacular day to day, Sunday to Sunday, uh, as it were. We are, as you pointed out, the common, you know, how you doing? I'm fine. Those are the common, that's the common exchange as you're walking past somebody. And it's not always okay. It's not always fine. No, it's not. Uh, you, you use a word. Uh, we categorize this as a psalm of lament. Mm -hmm. and, and we spent some significant time last year discussing biblical lament. We studied Job, Habakkuk. Uh, Hosea has a, an element of lament uh, as Hosea is dealing with his, his marriage with Gomer. And God, of course, using that as a picture of his relationship with Israel. Work with me here. Let's rehearse some of those things we talked about back well, six months ago or so, the components of biblical lament. Right. So, yeah, I was thinking about this one. Uh, I would say there's primarily four things that you see in a biblical lament. One is a turning to God in prayer, declaring our dependence upon him. Certainly in Psalm 88, you see that. God, <laughs> I'm crying out to you day and night in prayer. I get up every morning and it's my disposition to come before you and declare my utter dependence upon you in, des in, desperate, in desperate state and that you're the only one that can change things. Second is bringing our complaints before God. <laughs> you know, these are real things that I don't understand, Lord, and that I'm begging you to act with respect to. So you definitely see that in spades in Psalm 88. Uh, boldly asking God to act. 
Um, I would say that that's definitely present in Psalm 88. And then finally, kind of like a, a choosing to trust God or praising him for who he is in himself. I would say that that is present in Psalm 88. I mean, you see that in like verses, you know, one and two mm-hmm. and uh, in verses nine and, and 13. And, and really even in, in Heman's, uh, you know, declaration of the fact that God himself is the one who has any power to do anything about this. I mean, that really reveals uh, the fact that Heman believes that God is the sovereign over all things. Only he can do something about it. Uh, But again, a lament generally has this element of choosing to trust, even in the midst of, you know, lack of understanding about what's going on. So turning to God in prayer, bringing our complaints, asking boldly, and then choosing to trust. And I think looking at those four, that's a, that's a good outline. Um, we consider lament, a, many would consider a discipline. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's just like prayer, uh, fasting, reading the scripture, fellowship, and that kind of thing. It is a discipline that everybody should be focusing on at points in their spiritual development, right? Yeah, right. Yeah, I think that's exactly right. I mean, again, this idea of not having to acknowledge that everything is hunky-dory all the time. I mean, we have a real hope, and it's a future hope. Uh, we kind of live in this this time and place where we have seen uh, more than most people throughout history uh, God's plan. He's revealed it to us in full in, in Christ Jesus. Uh, but we're in this kind of already but not yet period of the kingdom of God where things are still marred and deeply impacted by sin. And it's good for us to acknowledge that, man, (laughs) this is not good. And we wait for God, we're waiting and longing for God to set all things to right. And it's not only for those melancholic souls among us, it's for those uh, maybe type A, the glass is half half full type people as well. And uh, everybody needs to learn how to lament well, because things are not going to go well 100% of the time. Right. And I mentioned that, I mean, this is, this is, I'm preaching to myself here, but like, it's a way for us to learn patience with those that that uh, lament the state of the world in different ways, the Mm -hmm. half glass full versus the half glass empty people. I mentioned, you know, uh, we need to learn to patiently walk alongside others that that really do see the glass as half empty because that's real. It is half empty. In fact, it's like mostly empty compared to the the future glory that we will experience in Christ Jesus when he sets all things to right. So it's it's an opportunity for us to press into one another and to, and to encourage one another and understand one another and be patient with one another uh, as we as we lament that things are not as as they should be. Well, you also you listed a number of unbiblical approaches to suffering, and I'm going to take the liberty of, of presenting your list that was kind of in the negative, uh, but presented in an affirmative way as the, as biblical approaches to suffering. And I want you to respond to each of these approaches as I uh, as I present these in that way. So, first of all, uh, suffering is real. Yeah, that's right. It is real. <laughs> I mean, we just know that by experience, and if we deny that. Again, we're kind of sleep, slipping into Eastern, Eastern mystic, you know, religions where it's like, oh, well, you just have to rise above it. Uh, you know, this is a test of, of will and whatnot. No, I mean, sin is real. Sin has marred the earth. 
and marred the, all of creation, humanity, uh, and uh, sin has consequences, uh, suffering. And uh, that's a mercy of the Lord that he sees that, or that he has given us the ability to see that, that things are broken because of our sin. And so the suffering is not unreal. It's very, very real. Secondly, uh, whereas you said uh, there's not anything God can do about this, the truth is God can do something about it. Yeah, that's right. The, I mean, the message of Scripture is that God is, I mean, R.C. Sproul would say there's not a single maverick molecule in the entire universe. <laughs> that is, that I is hear the, him saying that. that. I mean, yeah, right. That's his, you know, alli- alli- you know alliteration maverick molecule there isn't a single maverick molecule in all of the universe that is that is totally the message of scripture god is in control of all things god has ordained even our suffering and that's a tough truth a tough pill to swallow at times and i mean uh, one thing i was just trying to i was trying to not paint rabbi harold kushner in a in a negative light but just to acknowledge that in his suffering he he lost track of what the scriptures teach. I mean, here's Psalm 88. <laughs> you know, clearly Heman knows who has the ability to change his circumstances. It's God. <laughs> and, uh, and, you know, uh, Rabbi Kushner, he's trying to get God off the hook, and Heman doesn't do that at all. And I think that we can learn, learn that from Heman. Here's another one. Whereas you said uh, you presented it as, well, uh, I've really screwed up. The truth is, it's often not my fault that I'm in a difficult circumstance. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, that's right. And it, it's just, <laughs> it's the consequences of the world in which we live. Sometimes the Lord is using uh, our circumstances to shape and mold us more into the image of Christ through suffering. Uh, and really, it's not my fault. That was the a conclusion of Job, at least initially. And he kind of... He continued to say that even after his friends started, into to, it. Yeah. started to chime in and say, man, I, I don't know that you are being totally honest about what's happening here. Uh, but Job was like, man, I, I, I don't, I did not do anything to actually deserve this. And, uh, and Job was right. And Heman doesn't seem to indicate that there's any hidden sin in his life, besetting sin, you know, uh, something that he did that was untoward or ungodly. He's just saying, what's going on? And and you'd agree with me, I'm sure. I think it's appropriate to say at this point, hey, it's not bad to self-examine, and perhaps there is something you've done. God God will deal with sin and sometimes allow pain to come into your life because of sin. So it's not inappropriate to say, God, is there anything? Show me any wayward way in my life. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's that's exactly right. That's 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 a good thing to do. Like, it's good for Job to ask, "Man, what did 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 I do something?" But then he did, and he realizes, "No, I don't. I don't think there's some besetting sin here. This is just this is God testing me in some way." And uh, and I mean, Jesus even said to his disciples, "You know, you're going to have trouble." But be encouraged, I have overcome the world in uh, John 16, 23. So, so yeah, it's good for us to remember that. And, and then your, your last point, and I can't remember exactly how you phrased your last point, but I'm going to rephrase it. It's okay not to be okay. Right. I had said, you know, this is, 
Chris Miller had said sometimes, so like the it's my fault disposition is kind of a prosper, prosperity gospel mm-hmm. uh, way of approaching the Christian life. Um, you know, I've heard Chris Miller use the phrase retribution theology, mm-hmm. that, that God's kind of keeping tabs, and then if we mess up, he comes and gives us what we deserve. But He's if a we gotcha do, God. Yeah, that's yeah. right. Yeah. So uh, it, it's my fault is a prosperity gospel approach. And what Chris Miller said is, we have to be careful to not kick the prosperity gospel dog out the front door and then let it creep in the back door by not acknowledging when things are not all as, as they should be. So um, the way I'd phrase it was, I'm okay, you're okay, where we kind of come to church and we put on a happy face. Uh, we do church, if you will, in kind of a, you know, hey, how are you doing? I'm fine. And if you say anything other than I'm fine, you know, you're failing. you've given the wrong answer. Yeah. In some way, and 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 I don't I don't think that's what the I know that's not what the Bible calls us to as Christian community. Mm-hmm. I think this is really the overall message of this psalm: is that it's okay not to be okay. Uh, all is not as it should be. We ought not pretend that it is, and otherwise we really deny uh, the very essence and need of our future hope that Christ will set all things to right. I mean, Romans eight. Itself, I kind of mentioned that at the end that God is working all things together for good for mm-hmm. those that love God and are called according to His purpose. But before that, there's just a litany of usages of the word groaning with respect to humanity, the creation itself, because it's been subjected to futility because of our sinfulness. And it's good for us to acknowledge that, man, we really should be groaning. I mean, things are not as they should be. And it's okay to say that. Yep. Okay, Adam, your four main points for the sermon, there was desperation, doctrine, discourse, and determination. Mm-hmm. You and I have a front seat often to, to lament, or times where we should be lamenting uh, here in our congregation. What, what is the one of those desperation, doctrine, discourse, determination that you've witnessed people having the most trouble with, and mm-hmm. how do you counsel in such situations where you see that? Yeah. So again, I mean, I was, I was trying to use some alliteration here and I was trying to think of a good word for argument and I came up with discourse. So discourse, mm-hmm. just a fancy word for an argument that Heman is, is bringing before God. Uh, I don't think that we're, that people tend to be bad at being desperate or making arguments. <laughs> I think we're pretty good at that. When you're <laughs> under the load, it, it's easy to cry out. Yeah, that's yeah, right. And that's not bad. It's yeah. appropriate. Right. But one thing I, I mean, I would mention that sometimes I've observed that people stop to believe mm. certain truths about God, certain doctrines mm. when they suffer. And, and that was the point that I made about darkness disorienting us mm-hmm. away from certain truths about, about God. Well, you were heavy and, on those Ds, weren't you? Yeah, that's right. Yeah. So I think, I think that that's the, that's the hardest one for people. It's the ancient problem of evil. How can a good God permit evil in the lives of, of people that he loves? Or did God really say? Yeah, that's right. And, and so determination, you know, what we are determined or we will ourselves to do can drop off downstream Absolutely. from not believing doctrines about God. I, I recently read a, a book with Bob Rome called uh, Spiritual Depression, Its Causes and Cures by... Uh, Martin Lloyd Jones, mm-hmm. and uh, he exposits in one of the chapters Romans six seventeen, which says, "But thanks be to God that you who were once slaves of sin have become obedient 
from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed. And he makes, he makes a big deal about the fact that there's kind of a flow downstream. You, you grasp the doctrine with the mind, and then God uses that to affect our feelings and emotions mm-hmm. and our love for these doctrines and for who God is. And then that, in turn, gives us, by His Spirit, the power to carry out his commands, to be obedient and to will ourselves to, to obey and continue to believe these things about God. So, I mean, everything's, Martin Lloyd-Jones makes a big deal about the fact that all of these kind of flow downstream from what we believe to be true about God. Hmm. So, well, and, and let's, you know, I've talked about what you see people having the most struggle with. Uh, you, you got personal this past Sunday. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't want to force you into a, into a way and talk more about uh, things. Uh, I'll just leave that to you. But um, I know you and I have gone through things. We have lamented uh, things. I, you know, I'm very aware of uh, what you have shared. Uh, some matters that have affected your your uh, uh, nuclear family, so to speak. Mm-hmm. Uh, you referenced a family matter. What are some things that you personally as you have lamented about this particular matter for a decade, over a decade, mm-hmm. uh, maybe more, what are some things that you personally have had to deal with? What has been the struggle uh, in these four areas in particular? Uh, just personalize it for me. Yeah, I mean, really, I mean, trusting God's sovereignty over the whole situation, especially as I see her... Uh, my sister Natalie, uh, I see her mind starting to slip. Mm-hmm. I mean, she is so and given a young her, woman. Yeah. 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 So it's just, I just think, God, hurry up, you know, save her now while she can still sort of make a rational decision. And it's it's brutal watching watching that not happen on the timetable that I would prefer. Uh, but I have I have to just cling to the sovereignty of God, the fact that. Um, uh, those he has ordained from the foundation of the world, he will draw to himself. And that if, if she is one that, that God, you know, will save on the last day, that he will draw her to himself in his timing and not my timetable. His timing is always perfect, but Sometimes it's been hard for me to trust his timetable and and not what I think would be best, especially as I see her physically start to to bear under the weight of her her own choices in her life. There's a, a, I hate even to use this analogy, but I do think it's appropriate. There's a, a, a movie, an animated movie, where the main one of the main characters reaches down to the the love of his life or budding love of his life. Do you trust me? Uh-huh. And I really see God doing that to us. Do you trust me? Yeah. Even if even if an outcome ends up not being what you would desire, do you trust me that this is mm. what I, the God of the universe, the creator of all things, the sustainer of all things, the redeemer of all things, am going to do? Yeah, that's exactly right. I, we've got to say yes. Mm-hmm. And it's a hard doctrine mm-hmm. because we personalize all this and we, we look in a, uh, we silo things. But God, the, again, the one who knows all things, the one who knows all things good and bad and then who will be glorified, are we wanting that most mm-hmm. of all? Yeah, that's that's right. the biggest thing for me to get out of my own 
circumstances and look at the global or the universal uh, uh, God who knows all things. Yeah, that's right. Adam, uh, let me read parts of several verses here in, in the 88th Psalm. Verse 6, you have put me in the depths of the pit. Mm. Verse 14, O Lord, why do you cast my soul away? Verse 16, your wrath has swept over me. Your dreadful assaults destroy me. So is suffering as a Christian related to God's punishment? His casting our souls away, as it were, his wrath? Is that what's going on here? Heman seems to indicate that's, that's what he's indicating here. Yeah, yeah, that was, that was a question that I had as I was kind of working through these verses. And... and uh, <laughs> It was, it was hard for me to, at first I, I was really trying to work to, to kind of get Heman off the hook in some ways, like, well, you know, maybe he means this or that. And then, I, and then it, it occurred to me just as I was praying and, and kind of reading some commentaries, you know, I think, I think there's a, maybe a, a little bit of slippage happening here where he really is, he feels like God's wrath is on him, but it's not. <laughs> God's wrath is not on him. Uh, he's not casting Heman's soul away. Mm -hmm. uh, so I would say no uh, to casting our souls away or wrath for his children. That fell on Christ. Mm -hmm. And it was going to fall on Christ in, in, in Heman's case. He just felt that that was to be true. And that's, that's why I had the point about uh, disorienting darkness uh, being something that we have to be careful about. It just feels that way even, even when it's not necessarily true. And what's interesting is I was thinking about this. I didn't bring it up in the message, but not even our death is is punitive. Mm -hmm. That fell on all of our punishment fell on Christ. So why do we die? <laughs> and uh, Philippians three ten I think is helpful. It, it says that I might, that I may know Him. This is Paul speaking. That I may know Him, Christ, and the power of His resurrection. And, my, and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death. So in some ways, I mean, not in some ways, this is biblical, our death is our ultimate kind of confirmation in, to Christ and becoming most like Christ. We die physically, and then we will rise physically, just as Christ died and rose. A passageway. It's a mimicry of Christ. A passageway into yes. the eternal. Yeah, that's right. So, I mean, it, trans it literally transforms the meaning of our death to one of judgment falling on us. No, that judgment is now on Christ as, as his children, and the meaning of our death is now a beautiful one. It's it's growing it's growing more in Christ likeness. It's one aspect. And Heman's cries here, as as I think you're saying, are true feelings that he is he's exhibiting. Yeah. yeah. Uh, not necessarily truths, but uh -huh. truths as he has seen that, it in right. his in his pain. Uh, it, it takes me back to a, a basic tenet of Bible study, mm -hmm. and that is understand what you're reading, understand the type of literature this is. We have the, the, the historical books, we mm -hmm. have the writings, we have the prophets, and uh, this is one of those writings. This is where we get, we see a lot of emotion through the Psalms. We see uh, a lot of uh, just rawness. Yeah, that's right. And 
This was meant to be sung. It's and it's meant. It's meant. It's meant. <laughs> yeah. This was the 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 uh, whether you listen like listening to eighties love yeah. songs or you know nineties uh-huh. country or whatever. This is the emoting part. This is where you really feel yeah. it. It was, and that's so it's right. good to understand there's what some, kind of literature you're reading. There's something about music and and singing. I mean, I went and looked through the hymnal book, and there wasn't. Uh, a hymn that used Psalm 88 as the text. Imagine that. <laughs> uh, I did find some some songs online that that tried to kind of put the words to music, but I wonder, I wonder what the wonder what it was like when people sang this, you know, or when they. I bet sang it was it. in a minor key. Yeah, I bet it was. <laughs> One other thing I would mention on this point is that you know uh, that same book, Spiritual Depression, by Martin Lowe Jones. Uh, one of the chapters he's expositing Hebrews twelve six, which says, "For the Lord disciplines the one He loves, mm-hmm. and chastises every son whom He receives." So, I mean, you mentioned, uh, you know, is suffering as a Christian related to God's punishment? We dis- dismiss the casting our soul away in the wrath part if right. we're His children, uh, but is it is it related to God's punishment? I would say it depends. <laughs> Certainly. It depends. It depends on whether I am not in not in keeping with what the Lord has revealed as as, you know, his good rules for our flourishing. Uh, but also, I mean, sometimes the Lord just uses hard circumstances to grow us in Christ likeness. It's the pruning mm-hmm. uh, that John talks about and uh, and many others. It's the pruning and the preparing yeah. for yeah, that's uh, right. a sanctifying process. Adam, we, we spent some time at the end of service on, on Sunday. You asked us to pray in small groups throughout the sanctuary for some hard circumstances, some lamentable circumstances, we might say, that we're aware of. It's not easy for just anybody to do that. And I know some uh, in my circle. That's not, uh, boy, when that happens, when the preacher calls us to do that in a small group, oh, yeah, that's, that's asking me to open up. I know there was some discomfort. What is the significance of calling for such a time of prayer in a service, a large service like that? Well, first of all, let me just say that, I mean, I understand that more than anyone. <laughs> I think that, uh, Bart, you're you're probably more of an extrovert. I'm very introverted. I know. But I know Sandy. Sandy's pretty introverted. Rachel's Sandy, very... I did not call your name now. <laughs> <laughs> Rachel's very extroverted. Sure. I hate it when those kinds of things happen. But, but you did it. <laughs> but I planned that, and I need that. Uh, we're called to fulfill dozens of one another commands in Scripture. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's a good, good exercise. Just go through the New Testament and find all of the one another references, the things mm-hmm. that we're, we're called to carry out in community as the family of God uh, and pressing into one another's lives. Uh, and we're supposed to rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. That's, you know, Romans twelve fifteen says that. And also to bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ, Galatians 6, 2. I mean, the, the clear message of the entirety of the New Testament as it pertains to our Christian living is that there is no growth available in the Christian life apart from the community of faith and the family of, and the gospel family that God has created. We cannot do this in isolation. As much as I would prefer to be able to do that on my own, I can't. Like God calls us to press into one another's lives, to open up 
to declare when things are hard and things that we're struggling with. So, so are you suggesting that lament is a group exercise? I, well, yeah. I mean, and I think that's one reason why this was a song that they sang in community. That was actually a, a point I wish I would have made in the sermon is this was a corporate lament were corporate things. Worship. They were worship, yes. Right. Lament is is a form of worship. Uh-huh. Yeah, okay. that's exactly right. So it was it was it a here. corporate exercise. And I kind of wanted people to have a sense of that by, no. by praying together in groups. And uh and I, I mean I, I hope people found that to be beneficial and that it really becomes part of the the heartbeat of, of what we do as a well, community. And let faith. me just share, I mean, Sandy and I gathered around with another dear uh, uh, member of our congregation, and, and uh, you know, there's, let, let's point out, it's okay not to share everything with everybody. Mm-hmm. It's appropriate not to share everything with everybody. Nobody yeah. is suggesting that it, as a church member, we need to get up in the middle of the church and say, hey, this is what I'm dealing with over here. It's okay to do it in a mm-hmm. small group. That's right. But each of us needs those individuals in our yeah. lives, and we, we cannot live life alone mm-hmm. uh, uh, as a Christian or anybody else. But it's important to be discerning. Mm-hmm. Who we share our struggles with, but as, as Sandy and I were dealing, were uh, sitting there with this one dear person, uh, we were able to pray with a, a matter that that this one knew I understood, and I was able to pray for this matter in, in a family mm-hmm. that's been a struggle, and uh, he prayed for uh, for some things as well that were that were sensitive to our needs, and so mm-hmm. it was a real a special time, and I think that we do need to be. A willing to be open in a discerning way. Mm. Yeah. Amen. Amen. And nobody's calling for everybody just to know everything about what I'm going through. Yeah, so that's exactly good. right. Adam, yeah. uh, make another plug for your, your book here and uh, let's remind people what, what they can do. Yeah. It's, it's a real brief book. Uh, I did, I did flip through it again last night and I was just so encouraged. It's, it's Ligon Duncan. Uh, it's basically kind of just his, his thoughts and, I don't know, the whole book's about 50 pages long. Uh, just his thoughts on Psalm 88 and Psalm 89. In some ways, Psalm 89 is the more pleasant response answer to Psalm 88. But I just I just had a sense that, man, this is it's okay for us to kind of sit here in Psalm 88 and just lament the things that are, are not as they should be. And uh, if you want a copy of the book, When Pain is Real and God Seems Silent by Ligon Duncan, Come track me down in a service or something, and I'd be happy to give you one. I have I have several in my office. Google Adam Hammett if you are listening to this and don't know where to call, or call Grace Baptist Church here at the church and office, and they can get that into your hands. Adam, thanks so much for taking time being with us today, and thanks for your work on this passage. My pleasure, Bart. We've been digging deeper today with Adam Hammett, and we invite you to share your questions and comments with us each week. You can email those to contact at gracecedarville.org. If you want a copy of that book booklet, make sure you contact us at contact at gracecedarville.org. And join us next time. We'll be continuing our study of God's Word, a new study we start next week in 1 Peter. And until we meet again, I'm your host, Bart Sheridan, thanking you for tuning into this episode of Digging Deeper in Grace. Digging Deeper in Grace is a ministry of Grace Baptist Church in Cedarville, Ohio. Visit us online at gracecedarville.org and join us next time as we continue our discussion. In the meantime, we invite you to continue digging deeper in grace as you read God's Word.